Whoa, 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 welcome to Pod Bless America. Uh, from the same same folks who bring you the Vinyl Preacher each and every week, this is the first episode of a brand new podcast on the network that, again, we're calling Pod Bless America. Uh, we're going to get on that corner before anyone else steals that IP. Uh, and so I'm Zach Paris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, and I have two folks here with me today. Uh, and so maybe we'll just start the podcast with some introductions. Thanks, Zach. I'm really glad to be here. Although, if we're really getting behind the magic of podcast recordings, I'm certainly not. I'm not there with you, but I'm there in sort of a virtual, like in a spiritual sense. Anyway, all that's an- incidental. My name is Peter Severson. I am the director of Lutheran Advocacy Ministry, Colorado. We are a public policy office of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America based here in the Denver metro area, but working all across Colorado, doing uh, public policy work uh, at the state legislature, uh, down at the state capitol, uh, but also connecting with congregations all across the state and and across our broader region to uh, help equip people to be advocates and to understand why public church matters. And I'm uh, Matt Cadle, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church uh, in Los Angeles, California, also the pastor campus pastor at USC, University of Southern California, and other mm. various uh, colleges and universities. Uh, mm. I used to be an intern at the uh, Lutheran Public Policy Office of Washington State with Paul Benz. Do you know Paul Benz? Oh my gosh, I know Paul right? Benz. The man <laughs> outranks me. <laughs> Paulie B is what we call him. He outranks me by year many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm excited to jump back into this conversation so what what is this conversation matt you're excited to jump back into it what exactly is this conversation <laughs> that we are having well thanks That's man just pressure. gonna toss that over <laughs> just toss it over <laughs> you set it up you set it up i'm open i'm open <laughs> wow i feel like i'm watching a trojans football game <laughs> oh my goodness so I've always been really interested in the relationship between uh, faith and engagement with public life, with the government, with um, how we organize ourselves and take care of each other, um, what that looks like. And I mean, I've always been interested in it uh, as I probably, you know, I, I feel like it's it's been interesting to be a, a progressive Christian through the Bush years as a, as a college student and then a, a graduate and then uh into the Obama years as a seminarian and, uh, and a first call pastor. Uh, and now in the, I don't even want to say it out loud, but the, the Trump era that we find ourselves in and every, like every chapter, it's sort of different the way that you live this out. I mean, the principles are the same, um, but how do you engage with the world, but also with your, your local community, right? Which looks different in, in all kinds of different places. So that is one thing that I'm interested in exploring. You know, Matt, I'm going to reference a, a, a conversation we had a while back on The Vinyl Preacher. And so, Peter, I, I know you've already heard the episode, but I'll recap it for you, too. Excellent. Yes. Is that So I grew up in the South. I grew up in, a, in rural North Carolina. A little story that I think is a, is a picture into, into the heart of what it, mean, what it meant for me to grow up and be formed in that place was that one time my friend Travis, who was a member of the local Southern Baptist Church, and we went to Walmart. We went to the Walmart because that's what you call Walmart uh, in the South. It's the Walmart. It was the only place in town where we could buy music at the time music 
was sold on compact discs. And and compact discs, we all remember being crazy expensive if you unless you stole them from Columbia House uh, and signed up for their <laughs> subscription plan as an under 18 year old because then they couldn't enforce the terms of the contract. So instead, I bought a single and I bought a single because there was two songs, two or three songs on it. It's like two dollars, right? Free music, essentially. Uh, and I got a copy of Joan Osborne's One of Us. Uh, what if God was one of us? And my friend Travis uh, was very worried when I bought it and we went back to the car to sit in, in their 1992 uh, Chevy Astro that was like a royal blue. It was beautiful. And he was very worried because he knew that his mom would be upset if she had found out what I would bought uh, because it wasn't right. Because John Osborne, who was not a Christian artist, was singing about God. And it almost didn't matter what she said about God because she doesn't really say anything too crazy about God. But that you don't cross the streams uh, it's a Ghostbusters deal, right? Like, you don't cross the streams of the secular and the religious. Anytime they, they cross, right, it's it's not natural or it's wrong. So I think a deep driving thing for me is to say, right, I don't think that's true. And, and a lot of my life since then uh, as a religious leader has been a part of exploring exactly how untrue that is and the depths of of what makes that of how that all works. And so for me, the conversation that I hope we're starting uh, or in starting to engage in is a conversation about diving into what lots of the world tells us is a really secular, is really secular stuff, especially in the United States, right? Separation of church and state means something very particular that I think reinforces that that attitude in our in our public psyche. The hand of cards that this this Lutheran religious identity is has dealt to me says that there's something profoundly sacred about all of existence, and and so I hope that that we're making some space to dive into that. Yeah, it makes me think about. Um... I mean, what is, I, I think especially, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the audience for a podcast like this is, but like in the, I feel like oftentimes when I encounter progressive folks that it's like religious, re- religion just shouldn't be involved, right? Because it's just going to get ugly, right? Like they're, it's not going to, it's not going to end well. And so like, what is a, what does a healthy engagement look like? And which I, I think is some of what you're talking about. And then the other thing is that like, I'll go to community meetings and oftentimes like the community organizing meetings that I go to, I'm there as the pastor in the room. I'm the only one that's like representing a church and not a, uh, an advocacy nonprofit. And so I've asked, sometimes I'll like ask folks like, what, like, what do you like one-on-one? I'll be like, what, like, what do you think, what role can the church play here? Like, I don't, I'm not an expert in housing policy, right? Like what, what is it that I'm, bring to the table? What is it that my community brings to the table? And it's been really interesting to hear some of those responses. One of our, um, a leader of a, of a housing organization likes to say like that we, we bring this history of presence in the community. We bring a, a connection to the community that is, um, that has a depth that, um, oftentimes, you know, doesn't exist in the same way, uh, with other organizations. Like there's a really uniqueness to that. And so just thinking about some of those things, like what, what is, what also is the unique voice that, that the church can bring to this conversation? We're not necessarily policy experts in the same way that somebody that has a degree in housing policy would be, but we might also bring an important voice to the conversation. What is that voice? What does that look like? Um, so if you're thinking about crossing those boundaries between like sacred and secular, what is what does a healthy boundary crossing <laughs> look like? I like the boundaries and that idea of, of moving back and forth between these boundaries. Uh, also, I hope this conversation can hat tip to, to Sir Reverend Ronald Roschke here, but that I hope that this conversation can third a lot of the conversation that's happening about 
the public sphere and religious stuff. And for me, what I what I think that thirding is is a denial of the boundaries between things that that like Matt lifted up, and whether it's the boundary between secular and and religious. Another formative thing for me is that I uh, currently live in Boulder, Colorado, and I used to live, I came here directly from Bakersfield, California, and if we ran the numbers, uh, I think you'd find that uh, Boulder, the city of Boulder, is probably one of the most politically progressive liberal places in the United States, and Bakersfield, California is one of the most conservatives. And so putting cards on the table face up uh, was pretty exciting to move to Boulder from there, uh, from Bakersfield. But a reality of living here now for a little over six years is that Boulder is not perfect, that the way things work here doesn't work for everybody. When I, as a pastor, have worked with community organizers, I'm always somewhat leery of a desire of a community organizer to use the community that I'm a part of in order to move a particular issue a couple notches one direction or the other on a spectrum like that. And now having lived in two different places where where the, the way we've organized and built our, our community doesn't work for everybody, I think it's clear that this is not a conversation about this choice or that choice, that what the, the, the church is bringing to it has to be a, a conversation about a third way that we don't see before us. And that is is an interesting way to put it. I, As you have alluded to, the, the, the most reverend Ron Roschke, our former colleague of mine here, I, I'm interested in this question of whether, so the church brings this perspective of a, a potential third way, is kind of how you, you put it. And I think in the public policy work that I find myself doing and trying to bring bring people of faith into, that's often the voice that we're lifting up, that there's it's not always black and white or left and right or one way or another, that, that you have these very stark sort of Manichaean choices that you have to make. It, it takes a different kind of vision to envision maybe there's something outside of that divisiveness, um, another way to, to do things, another way to live. But I've, I've encountered some pointed critiques of the idea that there's any particular way to arrange a, a polity, whether that's following, you know, the vision that, that we might have for God's justice in the world and, you know, bringing that voice to public policy, that, that there's any way to do that that truly, quote unquote, works for everyone. Um, hmm. I, I think we'd find differing views on that potentially. I mean, I and different views within within the church, I mean, to say nothing of, of people in the, you know, quote unquote secular world, although I'm, I'm trying not to use that boundary language so much, given that we're part of the point of this conversation is, is transcending those boundaries. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the question animating me, ma- making me think about what we could talk about in this podcast as well is is what what does it look like to get closer to a, a vision of something where that works for everyone with and and what does it mean if we never actually reach it? I mean, have we failed if we haven't reached, you know, building God's perfect kingdom of justice on earth or, or do we how do we deal with people's disappointment and dissatisfaction that we haven't reached that? I don't have a good answer for that, but that's 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 what your your uh, image made me think of. Or maybe you do have an answer for that. I don't know. I mean, I'd welcome I'd welcome a solid just definitive answer. I mean, you know. I have definitive answers about everything. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, very few people well, take them into consideration. Mostly I, my roommates. Um, oh, roommates. Let's talk about the thing that's on everybody's mind. Uh, I think mm. I can speak for everybody. Uh, I'm a, I'm a sh- 
I'm a straight bold. white guy married with a kid, uh, so I'm, I speak for most people all the time. Uh, and I think what people want to talk about is a photo uh, that was posted to a former parishioner of mine's Facebook page uh, mm. of, of my former representative, uh, Kevin McCarthy, House Majority Leader, uh, standing in shorts and flip-flops uh, in line at an In-N-Out Burger in Bakersfield, California. Uh, I think mm. it's worth acknowledging. I think we have to do our, our uh, it's our responsibility to say, hey, look, we're all three white guys. And the beauty of the picture is that Kevin McCarthy is the only only person at this in and out who is uh, who is white, and so so maybe that we'll post it on the Facebook page so you'll be able to to see. It's a beautiful picture. It's it's really a rich tableau of modern America in a lot of ways. Yes. What do you think he's ordering? That's the real question here. Well, okay, that's a good. Now Matt has more maybe perspective on the in and out realities because <laughs> we were very far away from the in and out. Yeah. Yeah, what's he, man, I mean, is the classic ordering, would be to get the, the question is, is he ordering on menu or off menu? Right, That's what yeah. I want to know. Yep, exactly. That's, yeah, I don't know. He says animal style to me. Something is coming animal style. <laughs> I mean, that, that certainly is the style that he brings to his, you know, his political career, I think, is he's really animalistic. I don't know. He just he, he's, he's he's casual in the photo, though. He's like taking it easy. I feel like he doesn't want to make tough decisions. I feel like he's probably ordering on menu mm. is my thought. I'm going to guess that he's going double double here because he looks like Ooh. a double double cut. Like he looks like a double wow. double. But so the, he's kind of a like a Chris Paul type of guy. He's got a you know, he's a, he's a solid double double. Uh, <laughs> he he is really... not a he is. There's no Russell Westbrook. In, in, no. in Kevin McCarthy. Um, no, he would never go triple. Never. But I'd say he's going double-double because I think the double-double is the most overrated menu item at In-N-Out. The ratios, the proportions mm. get all out of whack. you got to go just a single cheeseburger, uh, and that's the perfect combination of things. Otherwise, you just end up with all this beef in your mouth, and you're like, what mm. have I done? And then you have to wash it down with a, with a milkshake. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a question that the majority leader has necessarily asked himself before. You know, what have I done? I feel like that's, <laughs> I, I, I mean, and I don't know. As somebody, I'm not familiar with him personally and his, you know, he's a California guy. That's where Matt is. Zach was represented by him. But, you know, I, I have a feeling knowing the sort of state level politicians I work with, you know, they evince uh, like a confidence in the way that they they encounter everything in the world. You know, everything that they do they have to be able to, in some way, justify. And, and so to say, what have I done? That, that expresses a doubt, a creeping doubt that I don't think, I don't think he can afford to, to have, you know? He's, he's, a, he's a high up leader in our Congress. Like, I mean, he's I gotta be decisive. The more I think about it, the more this photo is portraying a, a Trumpian confidence. Uh, he's clearly, mm. clearly by himself. Uh, yes, that's very obvious. Yeah. If he were to experience the appropriate amount of shame for what appears to be a late night trip to In-N-Out by yourself, you use the drive through, especially as a public figure, right? Like you knew this was happening. All that to say, all this to say, sometimes when in the conversation about the church in the wider world, I feel like Kevin McCarthy looks in this photo, right? Uh, <laughs> 
I don't necessarily have like the hottest take uh, or the most interesting or perhaps even an un- uncommon take. So the question for me at the beginning of this podcast is why? Why am I uh, going to throw my voice and my Kevin McCarthy at, at In-N-Out uh, style voice into a, a mm. conversation, right? Uh, into mm-hmm. this conversation. I think a part of it is, is using my privilege and stuff to facilitate that kind of conversation. But that I do think it deserves a complexity. Um, that the conversation is complex and that, that I hope that I and we can come to that conversation with a, a humility, not just to the, the wealth of diversity of perspectives, um, but the complexity of the issues themselves. As complex, perhaps, as the in and oh my God, we're making a metaphor. The in and out uh, burger menu is very simple, but there's a complexity there you don't see. You could either order mm. the cheeseburger or the hamburger. Wait, there's a third way. Oh, secret menu. Whoa. We're wow. here to reveal the secret menu uh, in the open eyes <laughs> of, of everyone, including yeah. ourselves, our inner Kevin McCarthy's. I am astonished at your metaphorical prowess in creating these the vision for this podcast. And not only that, that you were able to use in an outburger <laughs> and this incredibly richly arrayed picture from Twitter to to sort of encapsulate what we're what we're hoping to talk about. The secret menu of American political life and religious engagement therewith. What you can expect a lot more of on this podcast is us spending copious amounts of time describing and commenting on great detail, visual images uh, in a purely auditory uh, medium. <laughs> I feel like for the listeners, we should have begun that conversation by just, just vi- describing the picture. Mm. I know they can get it online, but it, it might help the listeners to hear why don't, it. Why don't you do that for us, Peter? We can add that in. So, so just so that the listeners know uh, what, what's going on in this image, you, you can look this up. This was, this was posted by Zach's former parishioner, Dustin, uh, at 10, 11 p.m. on April 29th. So, so we're, we're conjecturing that this is a late night trip. It is late There's night. No, there, there, it's the interior in an out burger uh, by the counter. We, we have no visual cue about windows, so we can't really see the time of day. But we've got in the center, just re- smack dab in the center, kind of looking up as though this was shot from the hip. The pistol what Pete appears to be <laughs> What appears to be uh, Senate, uh, excuse me, House Republican Majority Leader, Kevin McCarthy. Of the fight in uh, 23rd. California. The fight in 23rd, as, as Stephen would say. And he's wearing, uh, if we can sort of describe this, sort of a, a maroon T-shirt. Uh, Cotton what blend. to be kind of a light yeah, a cotton blend, maybe Pima. I don't know. It could be a stonewashed, mm-hmm. like kind of Eddie Bauer. It's kind of an Eddie Bauer esque uh, t shirt. He's got the the light sort of uh, khaki shorts uh, cut off just above the knee. So yeah. we're getting, you know, he's really he's really feeling the the heat of the late springtime, and he's got uh, flip flops on. So he's really this is as Zach pointed out in our in our previous in our our preparatory conversation. This is not how you see politicians dressed. As far as I can tell, they're wearing suits 24-7, it seems. So for this to appear in the wild, it's it's very unusual. And around him in this tableau, we have three uh, younger men, a couple a couple of them in ball caps. And, and you know, we don't want to conjecture about people's uh, background, but they appear to maybe be Hispanic, uh, sort of waiting behind him. There's a woman in a dress behind that you can't quite see. And there's a young child in the foreground, two young children. 
uh, and then a woman uh, at, at the cashier. And as Zach pointed out, uh, this is it's very clear that Kevin McCarthy is the only white guy in this in this photo. Um, and he's very and even even then, though, he he has this sort of array of uh, he's, he's like the centerpiece of this image. If, if this is the Last Supper, you know, he is the, the Christ figure that might be a bridge too far. But <laughs> It's like so if now you're the, familiar. So the listeners have that picture. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with that picture of Donald Trump eating Kentucky Fried Chicken on his airplane with a, a fork and knife, if he were dressed appropriate to the bucket of chicken, that's what we're looking at. <laughs> Kevin forgot to wear the suit. It is. It's you the know, same photo. I, I honestly, I I have to salute the man. Like if you're in a job where you wear suits all the time and and I'm in a politics adjacent job, so I wear suits a fair amount of times, uh, you know, you want to get out of them as much as possible. And I feel like he's he's letting himself breathe. He's letting himself relax. He's clearly in in an establishment where he doesn't anticipate necessarily being recognized. Um, (laughs) It's almost like hiding in plain sight to just not be in, in the suit. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't fault him. He's he's living his best life. We can yeah. fault him for other things, but, I, you know, it's also interesting to me. The date of this uh, posting is April 29th, which is mm. April 20th, 2017, the 25th anniversary of the L.A. riots. Yes, I assume that mm. I assume that I assume that he spent mm. the day at all of the many commemorations that took place in Bakersfield, because mm. uh, my experience in Bakersfield is that Bakersfield and Los Angeles really lots of connections there. We love each other. Two communities that really just a lot in common. The the they're, Rodney they're, King trial was in Bakersfield, right? It was it was up north somewhere, right? It was in, it was in Simi Valley, oh. which is where the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library is. Oh my! <laughs> We're uncovering layers of California's <laughs> recent history. Perhaps so. Okay, if if I take so my my boss is is our our bishop here. He uh, the bishop often says to us, you know, it it helps to start with the most charitable interpretation. So if we begin with that premise, we'll say yes. House Majority Leader McCarthy was at commemorations of the the terrible riots twenty five years ago, and 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 now is just needing some fortification. Uh, so that he can get ready for his town hall the next day where he will pointedly address uh, racial realities in California, um, economic disparity, police uh, interactions with civilians, uh, all of that. And describe in detail his order from in and out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if if the locals love in and out, maybe it's, it's he's connecting with with his constituency. Oh man! Wow. Do we want to we, talk we about really... the about the riots, Matt? <laughs> Ooh. On this on this podcast, what do you want to what do you want to talk about? I don't know. There's a lot. There's, a, There's lot. a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. I don't have a good angle on it. Um, mm. I preached about I preached about it a little bit because we uh, we did Road to Emmaus, right? Where they're discussing this thing that just happened that they're trying to make sense out of, mm. and so we. Mm-hmm. I touched that a little bit, like in that, in that regard, and that, and we're still trying to make sense of it in Los Angeles, even the way that we talk about it, right? Because um, different mm-hmm. people call it riots or a civil unrest or an uprising, oh, sure. and uh, and that's always really interesting to me. And then you get the perspectives of like congregation members, right? Where I 
I remember talking to one of our HomeBot members a couple of years ago for the 20th anniversary, and she just remembers being scared. She was like, it was terrifying. Like, I don't, that's what it was like to live through it, as for her at least. And then um, talk with my administrator today and the different things that they remember. Like, she remembers going to work and having national, there were national, like, she was sitting at the bus stop and there were like National Guard folks on the rooftops with, with um with rifles right and she was like what like like it just it's so it's felt surreal you know um to see that and then she simultaneously remembered like watching the videos of like the police beatings and feeling sick to her stomach like and still like you see those things and it's just as horrible and yet also people remembering and telling stories about run down to the grocery store and like the kids would go down and like get stuff from the grocery store right uh and then they would bring it back and she's like and i remember our mom was really mad at us not because we went and looted the grocery store, but because we didn't bring back any meat. We didn't bring it back anything that she could actually use, you know? <laughs> so it's just some of those stories that get told, right? There's like layers of experience that happen in a moment like that. It's crazy. Like there's just there's these macro level things that lead to something like that. And then there are all these like individual little experiences that people have within it. I don't know. I don't know how any of that relates. Yeah, man, I, I certainly don't have any good angle. It happened when I was like four and I have I've only learned about it as a like as history essentially even though i was technically alive like and it was so far away i mean i growing up in south dakota we probably had very little coverage other than what was probably like here's some big terrible event happening really far away like what else that's how so many things are covered in in that area so yeah i don't know yeah and then i guess like i was driving to work this morning and um listening to NPR's Code Switch podcast, where they interviewed Chip Murray, who was the pastor at um, First AME Church uh, mm. here in LA, and he's now on staff at USC. So he comes to the re- religious directors meetings. Nice. Mm. You just saw I know, him. Crazy. I know. Well, he wasn't at that, but he is. He's usually at those meetings. They don't um, know that, Matt. You could just say yes. No, he's he's, <laughs> he's retired, but he's um, just a phenomenal guy. But they had these excerpts from his sermon at that time, like in mm. the wake of, and it, God, it's just like. It's amazing. He had this, they just played like little snippets and he had this thing where like, and he speaks in this voice. It's just like, I get so like dramatic and powerful. Um, and, and he says, he says, we want to, he says, we're not proud of setting these fires, but he said, we want to make a distinction to America between setting a fire and starting a fire. And we may have, there may have been fires set, but we didn't start these fires. <laughs> and like, mm. and what a what a thing to say, right? What an image to to work with, uh, wow. and to preach. So, just really good stuff. I mean, the the need to call for for peace, right? You want to have this peaceful world, but then what does it mean to? I mean, they. It was funny because the interviewer said something about like how. Well, you know, as a preacher, you want peace, and he's like, yes, it's really important to act nonviolently. And so instead of using the word peace, like he switched it to nonviolent, which to me, like created more space for like nonviolent direct action. Right. So it's just it's interesting the way that we talk about these things, the way that we can oversimplify um, peace versus unrest and and what those things mean. And how do you continue to work for justice? And sometimes it looks like sometimes it, it doesn't always look peaceful. <laughs> so. so, yeah, I don't know. Does that relate at all? No, I think it does relate. It even sightings, Martin Marty's twice weekly 
publication on, on religion and public life this week uh, or today talked about the results of the study that came out that said that parishioners care more about substantive sermons than they do about programming or child care and worship music and stuff. So the, the connection that comes to mind that in lifting up Pastor Murray's sermon in the wake of that mm-hmm. is that if that's the thing that's most important to people, and if one of, I don't think we've actually said it in the podcast, but one of the dynamics that, that Matt lifted up earlier was the dynamic between having like the hottest, most distinct and unique take uh, and a quietism of, of, of recognizing that for folks who serve in, in leadership, especially in congregations, you have a lot of folks who think a lot of different things. And so how do you, you say anything? If it's critical to say something important and substantive and powerful and tying into to Peter's pointing to, to, to Jim Gonia's take, I think the most charitable understanding of the quietest, right, is that we're not often presented with a way to be able to speak with high integrity to a mixed group of people like that, that we're not equipped to, we don't often, the conversation is not a conversation that happens in thirds, but happens at either ends of spectrums, right? And so hopefully the work of this conversation is a part of the work of finding helping the church to find a substantive voice in the midst of all of this that can be heard. I think that's the other part of it. I don't want to discount in any way the things that, that many of the emerging voices and what they've what they've said in, in their takes, right? But that I think a part of what it means to be political and, and intelligently political and, and political with integrity uh, is to really be focused on outcomes. I had a giant revelation the past couple weeks. I've decided that there is a scenario in which I would vote for a member of the opposite party, you guys. Did not know that that would ever happen, but I've decided that if I lived in South Carolina, I would vote for Lindsey Graham right now. (laughs) Right? I don't agree (laughs) with basically any of his principles and policies, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that would be the most effective use of my voice uh, when and if Lindsey continues to be non-cooperative with an administration that I find abhorrent, that I would rather have him in office than a member of the Freedom Caucus or what have you, right? So it may Mm -hmm. be the most, if I'm worried about what the outcome is and not worried about the purity of my vote, that's what I got to do to invest in, right? So if we have all of these new insights and perspectives that are coming to us that are incredibly powerful and truthful. How do we act with a Jacobian spirituality that that makes things happen? That that opens up a whole door to get into a really fascinating debate about the instrumentalization of our participation in public life and and how that may or may not be necessary. I don't want to open that door now necessarily, but or I don't want to walk through it. You opened it. I didn't open anything. I just pointed <laughs> to the door. It was already there. Yes, the door is there. I don't have anything to add on that. I'm just cool. think, thinking um, about that. That could be something for the future. And I think I'm really excited to have Peter on the podcast um, and an advocate an advocacy lens to the, all of this, because another thing that motivates me to this podcast is a thing that I think has motivated many people in the past couple of months is that so may or may not have had an anxiety attack night of the election. One of the biggest feelings I walked away with is that I didn't do enough. I could have done much more. I didn't think it was possible. Right. I literally didn't think it was possible. I wasn't that worried. So I didn't do very much. And the recognition that I could have done so much more, I could have could have phone banked. I could have if I was as worried as I realized I was 
was that night I could have done more. And so I hope this conversation is not a, a conversation that we have just for the, the pleasure of having one, but that it's a conversation that moves to action and makes real things happen in the world. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of why I am thankful to be in this vocational location, as it were, doing this kind of work. I mean, it, it's what moves people to act and to translate high-mindedness <laughs> and, and you know, the, the, the real calls to action that they might experience in a congregational setting into, like, how am I going to act on that, that call? How am I, what am I going to do with this? You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not much for Twitter. I'm on there because our office does have a Twitter account. I keep track of our local politicians in that way. But I, I did pin a tweet that we have to the very top of our page, and this is our Lutheran advocacy page. And it says, faith-based advocacy is how we as God's people can turn well-meaning thoughts and prayers into real systemic change. That's the goal of, of why we're doing this, that it's not to discount the importance of people's thoughts and prayers, but to say, okay, how do we, how do we translate that into, into doing something? Because God calls us into the world to do something and to be something. If we don't have the tools, if we're not equipped to make that shift across that boundary, if you will, then our, our, our faith is, ends up being sort of toothless. I'm sure Martin Luther has a very pithy way to put that, but that's, that's where I land on that. All that to say, I appreciate the invitation because I'm, I'm excited to be a part of the, the conversation too. How do you anticipate structuring, like, so like our other podcasts, it's like, well, we got these texts, so that we have, that's what we're gonna, we have to talk about every week. Do you, are you gonna do this like topically or are you gonna like? I was thinking that we could, my idea to start with would be uh, current events and topical or like current events and guests. So I think there's room and space to talk about what's happening in the world, but then underneath it to have guests on every week. So I've got a bunch of churchwide people lined up right now, or I just need to get dates for and kind of see how that, that works. I guess it could move to being topical about the guests or more of just the guests or. Yeah. I bet you could get um, Jonathan Klein from Clue, Los Angeles. Yeah, I bet you could. So we're looking forward to keeping this conversation going. Uh, be looking for Pod Bless America every Friday uh, coming into your podcast feed, wherever you buy free podcasts, whether that's SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, or wherever. Uh, we'll have the Facebook page up and going. Be sure to check it out to see beautiful picture of Kevin McCarthy in uh, American Steel, Still Life. I cannot say the word steel, steel. Uh, southern accent uh, and we've got a lot of guests coming up we've got folks coming up from justice for women at the elca the luther disaster response people the racial justice people the aids strategy people we are going to be tackling all the things that people are out there working and hearing about and so hopefully that can inform all of our work on the ground uh being a part of this crazy third way thing that god is doing in the world and so until next week uh from all of us here at Pod Bless America, may, pod, may God bless you, and may Pod bless the United States of America.